Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When people think about public benefits and the work being done to provide those benefits, welfare and unemployment checks often come to mind first. But public benefits include so many things, like support with education or social security, Medicaid, childcare, anything that requires public or community assistance. So many of us have internalized a very narrow idea of public benefits and the process that goes into creating positive outcomes for community members. But fortunately for us, our guest is helping us stay informed. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Today's guest is Patrice Berry, a public servant and the founder of the app Assist Hub. As one of few Black women in her small town in Maryland, Patrice's entire upbringing has been shaped by unjust social and systemic barriers. Growing up, Patrice often felt like she had to prove herself much more than her white peers to be afforded the same opportunities. After graduating high school, she decided that she wanted to work with community members and organizations that provided assistance to those struggling personally or financially because she had been there. She had had that experience. And now Patrice is the executive advisor to the mayor of Oakland. And she's the founder of Assist Hub, an app that helps families who are struggling financially access the public assistance money they are entitled to. Assist Hub exists to make it easier for Americans to access financial security and economic recovery. And over 90% of families with children don't access the financial assistance that they're entitled to. And Assist Hub and Patrice herself are working to change this. In today's episode, Patrice and I talk about working to create solutions when the problem of systemic barriers against marginalized communities can't be solved with just one solution. And we also talk about how to make a solution towards this big problem accessible to the people who need it most and how technology is amazing at doing just that, even if you don't have a technology background. Patrice had never coded before creating this tool, and now it exists out in the world. She made it happen. This was such a fun episode, so niche, so interesting. Patrice is great. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into this conversation. You are the founder of the app Assist Hub that helps Americans find and claim public benefits and you also work in the office of Oakland's mayor. And to me, this is this unique intersection of tech and public good and government. Not everybody is usually up for, you know, something that's 
kind of, you know, a, a finger in a lot of pots. How would you describe what you do? Oof, where do I begin? Uh, so I, I will tell you what I was hired to do and then perhaps tell you what that looks like. I, I started working for the office of Mayor Libby Schaff in 2018. And at the time, the problem we were trying to solve is how hard it is for families to access federal and state financial aid. And so I, I have a background in college access and completion, and I came in trying to eliminate barriers that keep people from accessing money to which they have a right, especially when it comes to higher education. What that looks like is um, I convene groups of people in the community-based organization space in Oakland, folks in higher ed, so our local colleges. We strategize together. We thought partner. Um, we plan different ways to make accessing college and persisting through college easier. And uh, Assist Hub is related to that. You know, affording college is really hard. So when the pandemic hit, we started Assist Hub in an effort to make it easier for our college students and for our families to get through really tough times. Before you kind of came to this world of like, I don't know, serving your community, what were you doing before that? What led to you deciding to do this? Because I would imagine that this is, you know, it is an intentional choice to be in this space. It feels like a very mission-driven role. Like what inspired that mission? I can take it back to the beginning, perhaps. Uh, I often say that I feel like I've been fighting injustice and inequity my whole entire life. That's what it feels like. I grew up in a really small town in Maryland, and it was pretty segregated racially and economically. And the public schools I attended were integrated, of course, but I really felt like opportunity wasn't. And one of the first times I remember sort of experiencing blatant racism was in the fifth grade. So that early. Um, and I was placed into a so-called, quote unquote, lower track and I went home and I told my mom what happened on that first day of school and conversations occurred. And a few days later, I was placed into the highest track. And I'll never forget all the questions I had at the time and the feelings of discomfort as I left a class of mostly Black students to join this class where there was only one other Black student. And that happened time and time again throughout education. I've only been in classes with one, maybe two other Black kids. And I really had to fight to have a seat in those classrooms. And my mom, I talk about her a lot, so forgive me, but part of my story is her story. She graduated from college when she was 52 years old. And so growing up, I watched her try to get her education. She took classes at a local junior college and she never wanted us, my, my siblings and me, to struggle the way she did. So she insisted we all go to college. And all four of us, we, we all went to college, but getting there was really hard. And I always felt like I had to fight the school system, fight to be in honors classes, fight to be seen, fight for information. So by the time I finished high school, I had my heart set on being a policymaker or a Supreme Court judge because I feel like I got lucky and that didn't seem right to me. So I'm here today, I think, a lot because I don't think that we can leave the fate of people, the rights of people up to, oh, I know this person and they helped me get here, or my mom had enough time to care enough um, or to dedicate you know, parts of her evening hours to making sure 
I did what I needed to do in order to get to college. I just think that the system needs to protect more people and that I think a lot of the work that I do today has its roots in my upbringing. I just got goosebumps. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think that what I'm hearing there too is just this idea that like you you really did have to fight to get where you are today. And what a beautiful thing that you were able to do that. And you had a mom who was so supportive through that journey. But people shouldn't have to fight this uphill battle to get an education, to make it through life. And it should be a simpler process. And so it's really cool to see that you stepped in with the opportunity to say, how can I make this system better for more people? How can I make it so that people don't have to fight to get here? I imagine you're, you're still fighting because you have to create these new systems or change these systems. What does it feel like to take care of yourself in that journey of continuing that fight, but also, you know, you can't... It's got to feel overwhelming sometimes, I guess. Oh, yeah. People ask me what the hardest part of building something is. And they allude to the business side, the strategy side, but my imposter syndrome is the highest it has ever been my whole entire life. And I am in spaces sometimes where I feel like I don't belong or where people are scrutinizing the merit of me being there. And this question you just raised about taking care of myself is it resonates right now because I have to, I'm my biggest cheerleader. I jazz myself up all every single day. Uh, I have a four-year-old and she thinks the world of me and I fill up my community and my home with people I know who have every confidence in what I'm doing and who believe in the mission. And I try to protect that. And the pandemic has been really helpful because I've I've been really leaning into family and friends and community. And I think that is one of the ways that I take care of myself. Your family will never forget to remind you who you are and where you come from and what you're worth. And that has been a blessing for me to just tap into that um, these days. That's so encouraging. And I feel like I feel the same way to some degree in that, you know, the pandemic has given me such an ability to just, you know, really focus on my core, you know, community. And it it is so encouraging to, I don't know, it's that idea that the people around you totally can speak to who you are on a much deeper level than, you know, maybe people in, in a professional setting or a public setting because they know you at your core, they've seen you at your lows. And so they can remind you who you truly are at your best as well. So that that's encouraging to hear from you. I also have a Peloton, by the way, not to product <laughs> place, but that has been really exercising, has been really helpful. Yes, absolutely. Who's your favorite instructor? Ooh, I did a Robin class today, but I really love Hannah Franken. See, I have the opposite problem where I used to have a Peloton in my office. And then because of the <laughs> pandemic, I, I can't go to the office anymore. Oh, no. And so I haven't ridden a pandemic during the whole... Or <laughs> I haven't ridden a Peloton during the whole pandemic. Come over. I will. So sorry. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So you are, are serving in this in this kind of public role. You personally understand the problem of not having easy access to public benefits. And I imagine you're seeing it in your professional settings. 
I don't know. I feel like we've never really talked about public benefits in the podcast before. So maybe we could start off by me just asking, you know, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about public benefits? Oh, that's such a good question that I don't think I've ever been asked before. Uh, Some of the misconceptions about public benefits is what they are. So a lot of people think public benefits, they think welfare, they think uh, unemployment insurance immediately, but public benefits include social security, it includes Medicaid, uh, it includes food stamps and childcare assistance. And it uh, another form of public assistance is federal and state financial aid, which is how I fell into this space. Uh, and I think another big misconception is that most recipients of public benefits did not pay into the system. And I think I, I call that out because there is this narrative about the merit of people who need help and receive public assistance. And I, I like to challenge the some of these misconceptions in everyday conversation when they when they surface, just because the underemployed and unemployed workers that I serve through Assist Hub are people who are really dedicated to supporting their families, who uh, fell into tough times, who are um, still struggling through many years of systemic oppression. Uh, some of them are seniors, you know, who need access to food or who are on social security. Um, and I, there's all kinds of people who benefit from public assistance. And one of the things that I really want to do and have no idea how I will get there, but I really just want to transform the narrative and tell more stories. People need to know who's on the other side. I think I've been thinking about it a lot during the pandemic because, I think before the pandemic, I maybe had a few friends or people I'd known or or kind of families that I grew up with that I knew depended on unemployment from time to time. But during the pandemic, you know, I feel like every other person I know, you know, collected unemployment benefits at some point because so many people lost work or had their hours or clients so significantly cut that uh, you know, they experienced this thing for the first time. And and not only that, they also experienced how hard it was to go through that process. You know, this system is so challenging to deal with. And I'm hopeful that that alone can have some sort of an effect of changing the way that people see this. But I guess, what other ways do you think that we need to transform the perception of those who are receiving benefits? I think we have this unique moment of time to do something because of what you just said, but I can already feel the fatigue or the distractions creep in. And I think a lot of this is going to be political will. And I think people have to keep making noise beyond the pandemic as people look and beyond 2021 and things open up. We have to keep this at the top of everyone's stack of papers. I think policy has is responsible for a lot of the poverty we experience in the United States. And to that point, policy can also help correct it. But I think it's going to be a lot of people on the ground making noise and a lot of legislators who are going to do their job that are going to help us correct this. One of the reasons why I'm so excited about Assist Hub and all of the other 
tech products in the social safety net space is because I think we're demonstrating that there is a way that we can do this, that the problem can be solved. I don't have a tech background. I should not be building anything. Anybody, <laughs> I joke about this all the time, but this is how easy it is to solve a really big problem in some small way. And if I can do it, you can do it. I feel the same way about my job. Like I run, of course I run this podcast, but I also make a print newspaper called The Good Newspaper. I have no business making a newspaper. I'm a millennial. <laughs> no, but no millennial should be making a newspaper, but I kind of figured it out. Now I'm, I guess I'm in charge of a newspaper and we make the thing happen. <laughs> and so it was just because I saw an opportunity to do good in this unique way. And it sounds like you saw an opportunity to do good in a unique way. And it, it was unique to you, you know, for developers and stuff. It may not be unique to them, but for you, it's unique and it solves this problem. Tell me about this choice to intentionally uh, do something a little bit audacious. When I joined the mayor's office, it's actually the first time in my career that I wasn't serving students and families directly, where I wasn't, I didn't feel directly responsible for an individual or hundreds. And it was the first time that I could where I had lots of time to process and to learn again. And a few things happened in my first few years. I visited students at a college here in California called UC Merced. Um, and we were in fellowship with one another and students were talking about their challenges, just getting food, not just nourishment, but food they look forward to eating. And that wasn't fried. And we started talking about SNAP, which is um, a, a term to describe food stamps. And some of them weren't aware that they might qualify. And that baffled me, but that's the kind of information discovery that would happen in everyday conversation every year since I've been supporting college students. And so we actually started thinking through, like, what can we do so that the hundreds of other students like you, the thousands of other students like you can also know that they might qualify for SNAP and get this money. And really quick, one more layer beyond that too, I think is just that when these kids know that they've got food on the table and they're not so nervous about where their next meal is, I imagine that allows them to focus so much more on school, succeed, thrive, go on to better jobs. Like it's this, it's just the beginning of this long-term cool cycle of of positive action. But it, it starts with just somebody knowing that they have the ability to get those benefits. Absolutely. And there's hard data to support that when students are fed, when they have housing, that they do better, that they've graduated higher rates. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So that was one, that seed was planted. And I think that was 2018 or 2019. And I continued to ideate on this idea. One of my funders who's been supporting my work in the mayor's office pulled together a group of other volunteers and colleagues to help me think through a potential tech platform. I joined a program called 4.0 Schools who has a, an essentials fellowship, an idea accelerator. And I actually went to that accelerator the beginning of March uh, in New Orleans and practiced my pitch and felt really good about this platform we were going to build with and for college students to help them connect to services. And when I came back to Oakland, you know, the grand princess, you know, two days later was on the shore with, you know, passengers who had COVID. So it was the very beginning of the pandemic. And so a week or two later, the funder I'm talking about uh, reached out and said, what can we do? 
And so one of the things we thought of doing was just like making this product happen. And because of the moment where we were in, where folks were starting to lose their jobs, my college students were coming home. They felt like they were creating burdens for their families who were also losing jobs. So every money was like a big issue. And we knew that folks were going to need to connect to services. And so we just built this platform really quickly on Squarespace and using Typeform and just shipped it. And I, so that Genesis, I think, started way before the pandemic um, because this problem existed before COVID. But I think COVID really just pushed us to just do it. I think that's so cool. And I think that a common theme between people who have come on this podcast and shared about how they started something, especially when they started something that was outside of their area of expertise, is they always just shipped V1. You know, version one was built on Squarespace with Typeform. I would guess that that costs $60 per <laughs> month for those two subscriptions. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, Half of our audience is probably, you know, paid for Squarespace and another quarter is probably paid for Typeform. They're super common things, but like that's all you need to get started. And I'm sure that over time, you know, you'll say, oh, what if we had this feature? And then you'll add on something and add on something. But it started small. And I think that that is such an encouragement that like you don't have to go out and learn how to code. You can just build this thing. Absolutely. I don't know what the developers are going to say in response to that. But yes, I do not think you need to know how to code to build something. And well, I mean, the developers are building the thing that allows us to build the thing without coding. So I'll let them keep on doing that thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They can keep their jobs, but I don't want to have to learn how to do what they do. Very good. Very good point. We are going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Trace is sharing about the personal impact that financial security has on children's development and the steps that she took to create her first app to help them. We'll be right back. Sounds Good is supported by Moon March. Moon March is the agency that partners with causes, campaigns, and companies to create a better future. Now, many creative agencies build a reputation on mystique, smoke and mirrors, and they'll hand you off to a junior account manager who tells you to, quote unquote, trust their non-existent process, and then they'll leave you with mediocre work and a bloated bill. That's not how Moon March works at all. First of all, they know their way around the world of social impact and doing good. And that is huge and makes a huge difference. And then on top of that, they just have a much better agency model. Everybody that you work with will have at least a decade of experience. Their team has like not just experience, but like legit experience. Before working at Moon March, they worked with brands like Nike, Disney, Pfizer, Puma, Google, and more. And they have this incredible process that they're going to take you through. It's not just that they create a final product for you. It's that they dive deep and they figure out the why behind what you're doing. They help you figure out what problem you are solving and then figure out the best way to solve that problem. Uh, It sounds simple, but the reality is a lot of folks don't do that. And Moonmarch does it so well. We worked with them on our new website, as you know, and it's not just that we got a new website. We got a new perspective on our mission. I highly recommend them. If you are a brave soul running a company cause or campaign that dares to rethink cultural establishments, 
Moon March is here to ensure your story earns the participation it deserves. You can learn more about Moon March, explore their past work, and get in touch at moonmarch.com. That's moon, M-A-R-C-H, dot com. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. And of course, you are listening to a podcast right now. Uh, We host a lot of conversations with women. You obviously love stories of women making a difference in the world. And let me tell you, the perfect compliment to your Sounds Good podcast feed in your podcast app is the Breaking Glass podcast. Because every episode hosts a guest that is bending systems and breaking rules to rewrite the narrative for women. I come away feeling so inspired, educated, encouraged, and you will too. You can learn more about the Breaking Glass podcast at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. And of course, you can download it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Breaking Glass. One more time, that is breakingglasspodcast.com slash good and search for the podcast Breaking Glass. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Okay, so tell me about Assist Hub. You build this thing with, you know, a few apps online. Walk me through the journey of somebody who who needs help. In fact, maybe tell me, you know, why is somebody coming to the site in the first place? What's kind of going through their mind? What are they hoping to find? And then what's the journey once they get there? Different reasons for different people, but one of the ways that we reach people is by paying just a little bit of money on Google Ads. Um, people We'll type, you know, help with bills or rent assistance, food assistance, and we are trying to meet them where they are. Uh, we also partner with community-based organizations to get the word out about assist of places where people typically go for help, a search engine, a friend, a family member, their school or their community network. And then once they're on assisthub.org, we provide some information for people who just, you know, want to browse. But for those who are ready to get help, they can answer a few simple multiple choice questions. And what the platform does is aggregate what we consider to be the most relevant resources. And we create or build a personalized or curated checklist for them. And we are very deliberate about only providing folks with a handful of things because we know they're busy. We know they might be in distress and we want to help them focus on taking action. And when folks receive their checklist, they can reach out to us and get coaching um, through the application process or answer, uh, ask us questions. We are building more on the platform, which I'm happy to talk about. But for now, that's what people get, a personalized checklist and support through the process of actually obtaining those benefits. I like that idea too, that you're keeping it simple because it can feel so overwhelming when you have a million options on 
like what step to take next. And if you just say, here's, you know, the the small number of things, that actually just feels so much more encouraging than than having all of those options. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. What do you feel like is is kind of the next evolution? You know, because it, it sounds like this is V1 and you're helping people. And then I imagine you see another way and another way to help people. How do you want to help people next? Yeah, I think about this a lot. And right now we know that we're solving a really big problem in making sure we make it easy for people to find good information that doesn't depend on them knowing someone who does. And what we're trying to do, because we know it's really important, is also provide assistance along the way. So uh, we had to literally shut down for several months because of the overwhelm in questions that folks were asking about the application processes. And so we're building video content and other scripts and templates people can use to communicate with their landlord or to follow up with a benefits administrator to request information about their application um, and kind of build an end-to-end self-service platform so that regardless of whether a person is working on their application at 9 a.m. during business hours or 12 a.m. because that's the time that they have, they can get what they need. And I'm really excited about the video content because it's just really simple. We got a lot of feedback from folks in the community that what we provided in the checklist was really easy to understand, but then we sent them off to the EDD website and they're confused again. And so the video content is going to help us prepare folks for what they'll see when they begin their applications. And the other content, the templates, the scripts are things that we are hoping to provide to make sure folks feel really empowered to advocate for themselves, especially because lack of transparency when you have a rent payment or a utility payment due is really frustrating and distressing. And um, we think that's is really something really small we can do. And I think beyond that, which is happening right now, very soon, we'll be able to go to assisthub.org and get all of that. Um, after that, we know that economic security, financial security is one thing, but building financial cushion and perhaps even pursuing economic mobility is another thing. And we hope that we can continue to support individuals and families farther along in their life as they use public assistance to meet basic needs today, but then they can also use the technology that we have to find really good information very easily about how they can upskill and get a better paying job or perhaps save um, or take advantage of some public assistance programs to buy a home. Um, I think the racial wealth gap, when I think about that and how it could be zero for Black families, um, the median wealth for Black families could be zero by 2053. I think a lot about how we can support folks in building financial capability with our platform as well. This is so huge and so important. And I just love that you are kind of helping solve this problem that you see in front of you. And of course, this is just, you know, one solution required of many because this isn't just a, you know, a problem where people can't find things on Google. Like it's not just that websites are bad. We've got systemic problems in this country in our states and those need to be addressed too. You know, I know that this is a little bit outside of the wheelhouse of assist hub, but 
for those who are listening to this and they also care about tackling these deeper systemic things, do you have any advice on kind of what things to keep an eye out for kind of legislation wise, what to say to an elected official if they give them a call? Like, is there anything that you think on the horizon that you feel really hopeful could create some deep systemic change? Yeah. uh, And first to clarify, just in case it wasn't clear to folks, like, I think the systems change definitely needs to be happen needs to happen. And I, I see a SysTub and the other players in this space playing a really big role in that. When we have the data that we have about the people struggling so much um, at the frequency and scale, I think it's really gonna help us push and, and in ways that engage our communities to be a part of how we advocate and what we advocate for. And one of the things I like to tell my friends and family who don't understand what I do (laughs) is to pay attention to budgets when they're released. There's these like really short, relatively summaries of what a state budget is um, working toward. And so if folks just pay attention to that, they can scan to see where their states are spending their money. A lot of the public assistance programs are supported by federal dollars, but states like California have really stepped up where the federal government has not. And so those are things that people can ask their state legislators for. When it comes to college students, I think this is a big opportunity for us to um, not just make college more affordable, but also create the influence the ecosystem so that students have the legislative support they need to uh, access resources. And so there's a program called the Hope Center out of Temple University in Philadelphia who's doing a lot of work. So if you're interested specifically about how public assistance affects college students, which I'm really passionate about, I that's a good place to start. And I recommend that. That is super helpful advice. And I, I feel like that's very actionable. And I don't know about you, but like, I love getting to do good things that are kind of a little bit nerdy, like pulling out a spreadsheet or, you know, a a crappy government PDF and looking through a budget (laughs) process. Like it makes you kind of feel like a little secret superhero. So that's good. Yeah. And I'm sorry to recommend it, but it's, I think it's so (laughs) important people know where the people they vote for are spending their money. At least that. Patrice, this is all so helpful. And it's just so encouraging to hear this process of, of how you created this. I'm curious if you have some advice as we kind of wrap up this show for listeners who maybe are seeing a problem that they've experienced in their own life or in their own workplace or in their own communities and they want to make a difference. They want to step up. They want to create a solution that's maybe a little bit out of the box, but they don't know where to start. What advice would you have to give? I would say pay attention to the thing that keeps you up at night. So whatever that is, for me, the there's a statistic I read once that said an estimated $60 billion of public benefits go unclaimed every year. And I was just like, what the heck is that? $2.4 billion worth of federal and state financial aid go unclaimed. And I'm that's not okay. That kept me up at night. So when you're feeling anxious in, in your chest or you find yourself coming back to an idea over and over again in the shower or in the call, or, or in the car, uh, I think that's worth paying attention to and lean into that. I'm not saying everyone should be an entrepreneur. It, it's hard and I don't want to glorify it. But if you're already wrestling with a problem you can't ignore, it's probably worth exploring the question, what else can I do? And I think with that, 
get curious about what other people are doing to solve that problem, become a part of the work that inspires you. And I don't know, learn as much as you can. If your spirit remains stirred, go back to that question, what else can I do? And I, that's how I got here. It, you know, I couldn't ignore it. And I kept asking, what else can I do as I continue to do more and more? Uh, and I think that's probably the best advice I could give. Your heart knows where, what you're supposed to be doing and pay attention to it. That's Patrice Berry, organizer and founder of Assist Hub. You can learn more about their work by heading to their website, assisthub.org. And of course, that's where you can also get access to the app if you live in California and you can find out what kind of benefits are available to you. They are also looking for volunteers. So if you are interested in helping check on folks who need assistance in person, or if you want to volunteer your marketing or comms talent, you can get involved and get in touch at assisthub.org. I also want to give a shout out to the Fast Forward Accelerator Program. They're an organization that mobilizes the funding, resources, and support that tech nonprofits need to create positive impact at scale. They played a huge role in helping Assist Hub get up and running. And they also helped connect us to Assist Hub. And they connected us to a bunch of the other organizations and founders that you've heard on this podcast, especially over the last few months. We could not be more grateful. We love everybody that they get to work with. It's such a cool community. And you should absolutely check them out. You can check out Fast Forward Accelerator at fastforward.org, but it's spelled really fast. It's spelled ffwd.org. ffwd.org. Okay, that's it. <laughs> this podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at our all new website, goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, Rhea Bogwat, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Please make sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you have a favorite episode of the show, share it on your Instagram stories to share the word about celebrating good and taking good action. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and work towards creating a solution that is a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? Sound good?